Welcome to Yeah The Gals podcast, where I, Loz McGlynn, chat with epic everyday women who have paved their way to success in their space. We hope you feel inspired, motivated, and ready to listen to some honest and open conversations. Because gals, you bloody got these. Hey team, welcome Back to season two of Yeah, the Gals, episode one. It is weird for me to still be talking in seasons. Yes, yeah, it's been nice to have a little break to prepare and start chatting to different people, getting thoughts and feedback. I have had the privilege of already doing a bunch of awesome chats with some epic gals and some epic guys as well. So, very excited. We are kicking off season two with one hell of a gal. She is an absolute firecracker, and that is the beautiful Jess Ragusa, who was born with cystic fibrosis, and that is a genetic condition that, in Jess's case, it affects predominantly the respiratory system. After being diagnosed at three days old, the world of Jess's mum and dad, Mark and Kel, would completely change as they not only became parents for the first time, but they now had to navigate a life of medication, hospital visits and nebulizers with their newborn daughter. Making a sea change to the Central Coast, they made a commitment to ensuring that Jess was given a normal life, doing most of the things that a kid could do, and bloody hell, she did exactly that. At 18, after hitting milestones she was told that she wouldn't, Jess fell incredibly ill, and after some time in hospital, Kel and Mark were told that she had six months to live. Choosing not to initially tell Jess the prognosis, her and her boyfriend, now husband James, sat in a cafe as she sobbed in frustration and despair on how she could continue to live her life like this. But this gal is something else. She is stubborn, determined, passionate, strong and resilient, and they're just a few of the words to describe her. This was not going to be her story. And again, Bloody hell did she prove everyone wrong. When a drug became available to literally save her life, her family put up their home to fund the exorbitant monthly cost to keep Jess alive. Not settling for the dollar figure that was put on her life, what started with an Instagram post to friends and family very quickly spiralled to over 50,000 signatures on a petition and speaking to major media outlets, politicians and CF advocates who also agreed there needed to be change. I really want to keep talking, but I also don't want to steal her thunder because, Jess, you should be so proud that you were the voice that changed the lives of CF patients across Australia. Strap yourselves in, guys. This gal will have you sobbing, laughing and F-bombing the entire way through. Hello, Jess. Hello. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for coming in. No. We've been chatting for like 15 minutes, so it's weird to be like, I was hello. <laughs> but I'm genuinely so excited to talk to you today. Mm-hmm. And thank you for agreeing to come in. No worries. Thank you for letting me share my story. I was reading back and looking at some of the TV interviews and all the stuff that you've done. Is this the first time you've actually sat down and spoken about it from start to finish, like where you are right now? Yeah, because... I suppose once Track After got on, it was just like, oh, we're done. Don't need to speak to Jess anymore. Michael Usher did touch base with me after we had yeah. up just to share, like, well, look, guys, something actually exciting Happened. to talk about in the news. 
But then it was just like, we're done. Yeah. So no one really knows much more since that. Yeah, so. like we've got a lot to talk about. And for people that may not know your story as well, it is an incredible one. Oh, my God, you should just be so proud of what you have done. But I might just start. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Who is Jess? I'm Jess. <laughs> I am clearly sick today, which is very strange to me because I'm very well otherwise. 28, live on yep. the coast have cystic fibrosis and that's about where it ends really. I'm a mum. Huge job. (laughs) Huge job. Very exhausting. And then that's really it. I don't really live a life of luxury. I You're just an everyday gal just just doing your thing. Yeah, like it's nice to be in jeans because I'm normally in trackies. (laughs) Literally. Active wear, eat your heart out. Oh, 100%. But totally not giving yourself enough credit. When people listen to this story, I think that you have done an incredible thing in the last 12 months. For people who might not know a lot about cystic fibrosis, how would you explain it from your perspective? So it's a genetic disease that primarily affects the lungs few other organs like digestive systems and stuff get impacted as well. But for me, it was my lungs. That was the biggest part of my life. It means tablets trillions of times a day and nebulizers. Basically, our mucus is too thick, so we can't clear it. When you get a cold, you get mucus, a bit of snot and a bit of, you cough up a little bit of gunk. I couldn't, I can't get that up myself. It's so sticky. It just sticks to the walls of something sciencey or the little bits that are in your lungs and I can't get rid of it. So I had to do my chest physio to perk some vibes basically, like the little percussion that you used to do. You have to do that on your chest so it moves it. You then cough it up, spit it out and do that multiple times a day. Uh, (laughs) When you were born, did your parents told she has cystic fibrosis? So when you get the heel prick test, three days old-ish, that's when you get tested for CF. So every baby, as far as I know, gets tested at the heel prick test. And one of the diseases they check is for CF. What Um, was that like for your parents? Have they spoken to you around? And being a mother now yourself, what was that like? This is back in the 90s now. So it's not the same as what it was now. Their world was rocked. They were given a big book of probably very scary statistics about what that meant for you. But my mum and dad weren't financially prepared to raise a sick child. Having a child as expensive as it is, but add a $5,000 nebulizer and medications and hospital emissions, bang. You're not prepared. Like you're probably all hormonal. Your milk's only just coming in and all of a sudden you have CF and it's just A different avenue yeah. to go down. Can they predict the prognosis when you are above or is it different yeah. for everyone? Are there different severities? There are different severities. So it all works out about how your genes come through. So you have to have two copies of the genes. So we're chromosome sevens where CF comes from. So you obviously get one from mum, one from dad. Everyone does. And then depending on the fault in the gene is how your CF comes. So I'm the first one in the family as far as we can track back that had CF. Wow. So obviously mum and dad genetically probably weren't fit for each other. Ah. (laughs) They were vibing, but their chromosomes weren't. Yeah. (laughs) So I got one from mum, one for dad, and they obviously just, the two faults made CF. Yeah. I suppose I'm lucky that I don't have the most severe start. So it's Delta 5 FO8 is the faulty gene, and that's the most common fault. So I have one of dad's, one of those ones, and when I was born, they didn't know what mum's was. It was just, I had CF, but we don't know where it's come from. So science hadn't even caught up yet. 
happened. It must be weird to like actually think back because so much has happened between now That's and right. then. Like nearly 30, I'm 29 this year. So yeah. 29 years ago, God knows where we were. Anyway, so basically the two come together and make the fault. Yeah. There was a relative who died relatively young and they're like, oh, maybe we had CF. This is probably 60, 70 years ago. Yeah. No one knew much at all about that. Is CF hereditary? No, not hereditary. But it's genetic. But genetic. Okay. So Cooper doesn't have CF, but yeah. Cooper is a carrier for CF. Wow. So because James didn't have any of the genes, so we had to get genetic testing for James, yeah. basically we knew that Cooper wasn't going to have CF, but Cooper yeah. is going to get one of my genes. So because you get one off the two that come through, so he has one of mine. So when Cooper goes to have children, we have to get his partner tested. Yeah. It's just not hereditary, but genetic. Be probably really tough if Cooper did have CF. Yeah. Our whole lives would clash and it would be tough. Yeah. So I'm glad it's not hereditary. Yeah. Genetic, I'm, I can cope with. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess now fast forward 30 years and you can do genetic testing. Mm. I know it's something that my husband and I did. They're looking to get that as a part of the process through pregnancy as well. So exactly. you're not forking out that extra money. Absolutely. And there's so many things you can do to identify it. And then obviously this incredible drug, which you low key got on the PBS, which we'll <laughs> talk about. But what did those first couple of years look like for your parents, did they actually give you a life expectancy at that point? I think it was six. I wasn't going to live till six. Wow. But then by the time I got to six, then it was 12 and then 12 would come on to 20 and we just got pushed back. So every, every milestone that I made, I beat again. But that's just time and technology. By the time I was six, there was more medications and more physio treatments and more people knew about CF. Yeah. And it's now you learn about it in high school science. Yeah, like absolutely. People know enough about it. Was it lots of hospital visits in those early days? Yeah, early, early. I don't know enough about what yeah. it looked like. I think it was every three months you had a hospital appointment and specialist appointments and pediatricians and whatnot. I was really lucky. I suppose mum and dad were that my pediatrician was fantastic. Yeah. He was godsend. He was incredible. Peter Van Aspen was his name. And he told mum and dad, do not wrap your child in cotton wool. Yeah, I love that. Do everything that you would do if you had a child. You don't know anything else now. This is your child. Yeah. She's sick. She's got CF, but let her run at the beach and let her run around in a nappy and eat dirt. and Give her a life. Yeah. Like. They didn't let me lick trolleys or they would be a little bit paranoid yeah. when it comes to cleaning. I got to play sport and I got to go to school and I did everything I could. And I think because of that, I turned out relatively well. And you turned out all right, Charles. <laughs> yeah. But you think now and being a mum yourself, like we're going through winter at the moment, mm. RSV, you've got like croup and all of that. And like my daughter had croup last year. We ended up in the hospital mm. and that rocks you. Like I cannot imagine for your parents in those moments when you were super sick, yeah. that would be so hard for them. Do you have any memories as a kid remembering how sick you were and like what that meant for you? As a kid, I was actually really quite lucky. I yep. was not very sick as a kid. Yeah. I was born in Sydney. Yeah. One of our nebulizers was salt. It was purely just salt water. And mum's like, well, stuff paying for the medication. Let's just move to the coast. We bought a house in Copa. Mum and dad bought land, built a house. And they're like, go for a walk, Jess. Stuff sitting at home, plugged into the PowerPoint, just go to the beach. Yeah. That's your nebulizer. And go and swim in the beach and go and run around and be a kid. Yeah. But have your medication at the same time. Yeah. The move to the coast saved us I reckon my lung function went up drastically and I didn't have to have that medication I didn't have to fight mum and dad to put it on and do what you needed to do that was really good the coast move but as a kid I was pretty pretty well yeah I had occasional sicknesses and I'd have a day off for the hospital appointment 
being a pediatric hospital, we had to go to Westmead. You couldn't just have an hour off to go to school. You'd have the whole day off. Yeah. I remember hating that, but having CF, I got a high salt, high fat diet. I Ooh. loved it. Cocoa Pops for breakfast with some milkshakes Mac on the side. Chips. Absolutely. And not just the chips. You get the Big Mac and the nuggets on the yeah. side too. You wouldn't know it because you are like tiny. <laughs> yeah. That is so funny. Yeah. It's because we burn off so much fat because it's... our body was just working so hard to keep well and we excrete a lot of salt. So we add salt into our diet because funnily enough, I remember reading this in high school science. If you lick a CF patient, they will taste salty. Wow. Our salt, our sweat is salty. So we had to add extra salt into our diet. So Macca's chips all the way. You were talking about taking so many different kinds of meds. Did that then change as you got older, like the types of meds that you would have to take? Uh, Not the types, just the amounts. Yeah. So the more weight I got, like the heavier I got, as obviously growing up, the more milligrams I would get per per medication or whatever. Yeah. And that was sort of it in relation to it. But it was food. So the higher fat food you had, the more meds you had. It was a pancreatic enzyme. Then I just took it. I just learned. You look at your meal and you're like, okay, that's three. And then, yeah. oh, that's only one. It, I could not tell you the mathematics but behind it. But it just became intuitive almost. Just, yeah, that was yeah. all I knew. I didn't know anything else. It was, oh, okay, you're having cocoa box for breakfast. Here's your three crayon. You're going to have a juice. Here's one more. Yeah, like, interesting. That's... But a lot of tablets, from what oh, I've God. read, yeah. I think I read, I don't know if it was an article from you, but sometimes up to 80 tablets a day. Is that yeah. accurate? When you're sick, 100%. That's wow. probably where you're pretty close. It would be five to six a meal and then yeah. three to four a snack. And that's just life. That was just what you look like. Yeah. Then you add it, you know, you're sick. Here's four more every four hours. And then it was, oh, you have diabetes. Here's some more. Wow. Or just whatever you've got from there. So I was lucky. I was probably never on that much. Yeah. That could be like some patients really are. Yeah. As you got to being a teenager and then obviously like boys come into the mix and you met your beautiful partner, now husband and father of Hoops. Yes. James. How old were you guys when you met? We were both 18. Yeah. Yeah. We had a mutual friend and I went to Adventist. Yep. Jack went to Adventist and then moved to Eddie's and James was at Eddie's. So Jack come to my formal, I went to Jack's formal. Who's Jack? Jack's our mutual friend. Oh, mutual friend. Okay. We, you told me that. <laughs> did I, I was going to say, did I miss that word? I'm like, Jack, Jack. Okay, cool. Mutual friend, Jack. So Jack introduced me to James. Got it. James was very drunk at his high school formal and made just a, they fell out of the bus to get to the formal tipped all the wall over in the middle of the principal's speech. That's James. Yeah. Um, Does that, is that like him to a T? Is that, is 100%. It, okay, yeah. love that. Like I look at him. it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's James. So, yeah, James and I were 18, went to the formals separately but met at the formal and yeah. then just clicked from there. And, yeah, we're – Here you are. Well, here we 10 are. Ten years later, when you guys started dating and getting into a bit more of a serious relationship, at what point did you tell him about your CF? Yeah. I did it quite early because yeah. I was just like, I'm not going to waste my time. If your shit hits the fan and it's too hard, yeah. off you go. Yeah. So Jack actually said to James, has Jess spoken to you? And he's like, yeah, all the time. Why? What's up? Like, about what? Yeah. And he was like, oh, no. I'm not going to be Just ask her. (laughs) I'll let her tell you. And I spoke to James. I was like, tell me, how did I do it? Like, what happened? And he's like, you just text me. Oh, so you don't even remember how you did it. Oh, wow. No clue. Because, like, for me, it was just, this is, I don't know anything else. This is my life. He got an arm. Here's my CF diagnosis. He's like, 
Jess, I hated high school, didn't pay attention in science. I heard about it and I was just like, yeah, sweet, no worries. Let me know if you need anything was his response. Yeah. So I was really lucky with that. But at 18, I, as you said, teenager, get to be my own advocate. I was just like, fuck, I'm not doing anything that you tell me to do. I don't want to do that. I want to go and be with my friends. I don't want to take my tablets. Oh, that's fine. I'm not going to do my nebulizer. It's just like rebellious. Yeah. Then I got really sick. And that's when shit. Um, There wasn't a child anymore. So I got moved from child's hospital to adult hospital. And the whole way things got run was different. You used to go into this room and you used to be cuddled and loved and, oh, let's not really delve into how sick you really are, but, like, you're okay. Here's some Cocoa Pops, have a jelly bean type of thing. But adult hospital was just like, you sit there, you do what I say. And I'm like, oh, okay. Mum, no, you're not allowed in. Like, you sit in the waiting room where mum was with me for the The last 18 years. Yeah. Yeah. Rude shock to the system. Yeah. So had my first hospital admission when I was 18. But I was at home by myself and I called James. I was like, I've just had a shower, but I've collapsed from my the shower to my bedroom and I literally have no more breath. Can't breathe. Get me dressed because I'm wet in my towel and I don't know how to do this anymore. And was this like the first time you'd been that sick? Like you were fine yeah. and then it was just like you collapsed. Yeah. How scary for you. Yeah. So I was really unwell at the time. I think we didn't really know what was going on. Anyway, James come. We went to the hospital. James fainted in the hospital and I will always laugh at that. It's not about James. It was Love all this about James. James right yeah. now. Sorry, James. He was like, oh, I, was, I hadn't had any breakfast so my blood sugars were low. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I think you were just a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah. But I guess this would have been the first time that he was really exposed to what 100%. CS meant for you. Yeah. yeah. Because I was well and then I wasn't. He met me when I was well. Yeah. And then I wasn't. So yeah. that was a sort of like a, oh, what's going on? Yeah. Anyway, I remember then being at work and I got the phone call and they're like, oh, Jess, you need to come up. So I was at John Hunter and I was like, yeah, whatever. Let me finish my shift. I'll come. And they're like, no, you need to come now. And I'm like, no, it's fine. I'm going to stay at work. And then they called mum. And I'm like, calling in the big guns. Okay. Mum and Kel's like, get car. Yeah. Yeah. I was working at Central Coast Leagues Club and they come to the bar and I'm like, oh, Okay, like Serious. something's going on. Yeah. And she's like, we're leaving. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I think I might follow what you're saying. Yeah. If they've called in mum. When I've said, no, I'm not coming, I'll come up when I finish my shift. Get to the hospital. James is at work. And I'm like, oh, I just want to let you know, I'm no longer at work. I'm on my way to the hospital. They've said I have to come up. And they just put us in a room and was like, you have Burkholderia cepatia. This is just the name of the bug that I grow. This little pest of a bug that never goes away. <laughs> parasite. Yes. Legit parasite. 100%. And just eats your soul, basically. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And they're like, yeah, it's not looking good. Like, it, this is it. This is what's going to kill you, basically. We're going to do our best to eradicate it, but we don't normally. We can't normally kill it. It's just part of your soul now, and it's just going to eat away at you until you've got nothing left. Holy shit. And that's basically what it did. It destroyed me I don't know how I'm still alive in like physically or mentally or emotionally like it was tough yeah went 18 years without a hospital admission to bang IV antibiotics and you're in hospital and not letting you home I went to that gray sick looking I think I lost probably 10 kilos like I was sticking before I was 
sick and then I lost weight on top of that. And I had bags under my eyes. I wasn't sleeping, but all I did was sleep, if that makes sense. Like I knew what was going on. I was just like being on a train. Like you're asleep, you're just lazing around. You're not getting any sort of recovery period. Yeah. It's crazy. It sounds from what you were saying before, your mum and dad like advocated for you to have such a normal life, but it's almost like they didn't want you to know how sick you could have been. And then you were like, screw you guys, I'm fine. So what a shock to the system. Mm. It must have been so hard for them to know what was the right thing to do for you as well. Yeah. So they were the ones that were given a time frame. They never told me a date. Like they never told me how long I was going to, this thing was going to kill me. They told me that, but it wasn't going to, me in six months. So they told mum and dad, they put mum and dad in a room and said, this is it. Like, we're going to do our best, but she's got six months to leave. Mum and dad didn't tell me at that stage, but I knew I was sick. Like I knew internally, I could feel my body almost breaking. Like I was very unwell. Did they tell James? No. Okay. But James come up after work because I'm like getting admitted to hospital this is what my life looks like at yeah. the moment. And he's like, I remember you just walking out of the door and just sobbing and we just sat in the cafe and all you did was cry. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're sick and I don't know what's all of a sudden changed. And obviously incomprehensible crying that you have in a hospital admission for a bug that's going to kill you. I remember looking going, why the fuck are you here? Why have you not left? Like you would, you'd pack up, you'd pack up your bags and be like, this is too hard. I'm yeah. done. 18, you think about it, is such a young age. Yep. But it just sounds like that's such a testament yep. to James. 100%. So yep. that is amazing. Yeah. I ask him now and he's like, I loved you. I don't think we were there yet, but I knew like you were it. And I was like, I wasn't leaving. But I just so distinctly remember going, my God, I would have left. Yeah. Like, you get the phone call, oh, mate, I'm done. Do you think in a way it brought you guys a bit closer 100%. in that moment? Yeah. yeah. Because from then it was just like, okay, what do we do with your life now? It's basically starting fresh. Like yeah. you knew what your life was, but now we're doing it different. How long were you in hospital for? Like when they told you that, how long was it before you came out? I the think other it was three weeks. Yeah. I would have been in for, yeah, probably, they're normally around two to three week admissions. Yeah. But it was, then you get home and then it was like, okay, it hasn't worked. Then you're back. Like, so right. it was six hospital missions within about a year. Yeah. You don't get a lot of time to comprehend yourself. Thank God I was out of school because I wasn't going back to school. Yeah. I was in uni. I had to work out how to get my degree from a hospital bed. Yeah. So I, my whole uni by correspondence by the end of it, because I was just like, I'm not going to Sydney from Newcastle sick. Yeah. No, not yeah. a thing. And I was so determined. I'm very stubborn. And I'm like, nope, I really like my uni course and I'm not going to drop it just because you said no. Yeah. You don't sound stubborn at all. No. You're like, can you please go to the hospital? Um, No, I will finish my shift. Thank you very much. Yeah. You're like, cool. You know, my $25 an hour is important yeah, to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then how, so, so like it was a few years, like you're 18, you were in and out of hospital really sick within that first year. Yeah. And then the next couple of years after that, was it? So I got a personal trainer. You're sitting on the fence. Do you fall off or do you get back up? Literally. This is where... I remember sitting on the lounge and my PT is Luke and remember, I don't think I spoke. He always explained it to me as like a Dr. Phil session yeah, where all the family was like brought you here and everyone else spoke and he's like, and you just sat there so overwhelmed with what your life 
has now become. And he's like, if I pushed you over, you would have broken in half. Like you were just nothing, withered away to this drug addict looking deprived child. Yeah. Because that's what you were. Like, yes, you're 18, but you're still a child. Like, you've got no idea what your life is yeah. like. And so, especially to go from zero to 100. Yeah, like and that's that, exactly what happened. And, yeah. I mean, you, I, as you said, you were talking about the physical side of things, but mentally as well, that is a lot yep. to take in a really short period yep. of time. So understandably, but what this is screaming to me is absolute resilience. Mm. Like you're just like, fuck this. Yep. I am not letting this take a hold of me. Yep. Yeah, And that's exactly what I did. So we went back to basics. We learned how to walk upstairs and breathe at the same time because all I, I would just hold my breath. The 12 stairs that I used to live at mum and dad's. <gasps> 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. <gasps> oh, thank God I'm at the top. Like, oh, yeah. he's just taking the biggest breath. He's like, stuff that. I don't care if it takes us 12 minutes. We're going to walk up these stairs and we're going to learn how to breathe. At the studio, we just went for a walk and walk on the treadmill and bike. And, okay, now we're going to sit down and do some yoga. Just basic breathing. We just learned how to breathe again. And then I got a little bit better. And my lung function went from, I know, 42 to 45. I was like, oh. I'm a whole new person. What's 3%? And then the next year it was like 47 and then 52 and then 58. And then you just got better. Yeah. And I didn't really care so much because I felt okay. Because I'd gone from here to here, I was just like, I've already been the worst that I can be. Yeah. Like 3%. Oh, my God, you're a whole new woman. It shows, so, though, that every little bit counts. Yeah. And you, seriously, you just, you're just like oozing determination. Like and that's, but so at this stage, I didn't have, I didn't know I was got six months to live. Like no one told me yet. I was just, I was unhappy where I was and I really couldn't be where I was. I never wanted to kill myself, but I didn't want to be alive because it was tough. Yeah. <laughs> Don't cry. Oh, bloody hell, Jess. <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. Oh. But I remember sitting upstairs with mum and dad and I said those words. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to kill myself, but this is too hard. Yeah. Life should not be this hard. You shouldn't have to sit here struggling to breathe, to have a conversation or, you know, the walk down the road to the beach that you used to love is too hard. I don't want to be there anymore. And I said, it's just too hard. I don't want to do it anymore. What was that like for your parents? Shockingly, my dad, it was my dad that broke me. He just sat there and was just like, Fuck, my 18-year-old child is here. Yeah. What? Yeah. Mum, mum, she's strong and she would never, ever break. And then she probably cried behind closed doors. Yeah. But my dad, he's just like, we can do this. We're here together as a team. And that's exactly what it was. So my family got a dog and Ollie George was his name, Chucky Lab. And Ollie, we went for a walk. That's just really, that's all we ever did. We just took one little tiny step at a time because... The world was too overwhelming. So, yeah, being stubborn, no one's going to tell me what to do. If you give me six months, I'm, no, not good enough. And did they ever tell you? Mum and dad did, eventually. The hospital never did. And it was once I started to get better and there was just like, yes, you beat the odds. You're not supposed to be alive and everything that you did, you beat it. Like you're here because of your um, determination. Absolutely. So it's... Yeah, a bit of your stubbornness here got you a little bit. Yeah. Your, your grit and your determination got you where. And it was purely because you were unhappy with where you were then. And your mentality as well. Mm. I think it it shows how important your mindset is. That can take over. You were like, no, there is actually something yep. I can do and every little bit counts. Yep. And it's just 
Incredible. And so then trifecta, if we try kafta. Oh my God, I've said trifecta this whole time. Try kafta. Try kafta? Try kafta. I love that we're like however many minutes in. I've said trifecta about a million times and you're like trifecta. I don't think, I don't know if we've been recording it as trifecta. (laughs) But try kafta. Try kafta. Try kafta. Try Kenya, it's try kafta. Um, (laughs) Okay, that's a blooper. Try. Now, I'm not going to say it so, right. Try The three elements of the drug. Try kafta. Yeah. Got it. Everyone at home, try kafta. When did that become available or was it always available? Not always available. Maybe five years. Okay. But the rigmarole to get it, you basically have to be dead. So before it went on to the PBS, there was a special consideration. So when you're basically on your lung transplant list, is basically when you can get it. I applied three times. I got rejected three times. It's just, oh, no, your lung function's in the 50s. We only care if you're in the 40s. Wow. And it was just, like, brutal because of the cost. So it was, mm, I don't know, the monthly cost was $21,300-something. So I just want to say that again. That is $21,000 a month. Yeah. So that's six. a week, pretty much. Yeah, it was $300 a tablet. I think we worked it out to be. And you took three a day. Wow. Yeah. So it had been around for a little while. And all of, obviously, if you were really sick, you got it. Yeah. That's just not good enough. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) What? Why do I have to be dead before I start it? Yeah. So that's when mum and dad always were like, let's just do it. And I'm like, don't be ridiculous. We're not losing our house for this drug. I'm fine. Yes, I'm a little bit sick and I go to hospital three times a year. And I cough up blood and I'm losing weight and just whatever. Prob's not great, <laughs> but could be worse. Could I be love worse. that that's your. And that's what it was. Because I was worse, I was just like, oh, like yeah. I'm not great, but I'm fine. I'm yeah. surviving. I'm breathing. You know, I don't really care what the numbers say. Yeah. And I was just like, no, not negotiable. I'm not speaking about it. Then I was coughing up some blood. And when I say some, like. A lot. If anyone else coughed up this amount of blood, like you'd be like. I'm dying. (laughs) And I made a new dinner that night and I was like, it's just dinner. Like I've just had an allergic reaction. It's fine. Like it was potato, like a quiche. Like it's not as though. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh, but you're like, the quiche. It was the quiche. It was the quiche. It was the potato. (laughs) And I burst the blood vessels in my eyes from coughing and I had black eyes and I clogged the drain with food because I just couldn't. It was really bad. And I said to James, I was like, okay. It's just the quiche. Anyway, so James threw it out. I don't think James had even eaten it. It was just coincidentally at the same time, bad quiche. Yeah. No longer a quiche. Yeah. Anyway, so I was like to James, I think we should, I think we should call mum. I was living out how of old, home. Yeah, how old were you at this time? Like a 25-ish? Few, were you guys married at this point? When did you get married? No. Yes, we were married. We were married. Okay, got married. Yeah. Which also, side note, James is still around, did get married. Yes, did get married. We got married in 2020. We got married the weekend before we went into COVID lockdown. Wow. God, my ner- I was a nervous wreck. Can imagine. Side note, but yeah. That so. is a no, that's also <laughs> a difficult story. So the Saturday we got married and Monday at 12 o'clock we went into lockdown. COVID's a whole other story. And then talking about COVID with you having CF when mm. you were sick, like that's a whole other thing. Yeah. yeah. So we were married, living out of home. So James called mum. He's like, Kel, Jess is a bit sick. Like we've coughed up a, a lot of blood. And she's like, how much? And I go by cups, like a whole cup of blood. So we went to hospital and had a hospital admission and 
rigmarole that comes from that. Mum was just like, we're doing it. I'm like, no, this is too much money. Not, I'm not living my childhood home is going to be, we're going to live in a tent, like basically is what we're going to be. Mum said, what is the point of having a, child, a home if you don't have a child? And I was just like, okay, I get it. Like we can live in a tent together. Like we've got each other, I suppose, at the end of the day. I wanted to have a child and Tri Capital was going to get me there. I wanted to be well, Tri Capital was going to get me there. And I wanted to be normal and Tri Capital was going to get me there. So $21,375 a month. Yeah. That's what the cost was. It's huge. And we paid seven months of it. So whatever, 250 odd thousand that it cost us, that's a house. So they remortgaged their house? Yeah. So that? COVID was really hmm. good for that because prices went through the roof. They remortgaged their house that they owned, so they didn't have a mortgage on it and then refinanced to get the mortgage. So we sat down and had like a Zoom meeting with everyone. Mum and dad were in this house, we were on this house, and then the doctors were at this house. And so track after being so new, we obviously had no idea what the impact was going to be on my fertility. And if I was to fall pregnant, what that would mean for my bub. Your baby is not going to be well if you aren't well. Yeah. If you're sick, your baby's going to be sick. And that's basically what your life's going to be like. Yeah. So we did it. We took the step and I'm like, okay, sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. And you guys were trying for a baby at this point. Yeah. So we'd been married for about 18, 20 months yeah. before I went on track after. And we've been trying for a baby since. And so many pregnancy tests. Yeah, been there, girl. <laughs> been there. Like, yeah. Oh, my God, I'm a day late. Let's go test. Did they did they correlate that you there was potential for infertility having CF or it was just you as an individual? So like they it? just said, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know why you're infertile. All your numbers are right. Your eggs are good, whatever. Yeah. Basically, I think they just put it down to that my mucus was too thick. They just yeah. said, you're suffocating all of the sperm. So we went through the whole journey of genetic testing. I did Icozy. I was like, yep, this is the month. Definitely wasn't the month. And I was like, fuck it, let's go for IVF. Yeah. And COVID. Oh, no, we're not doing that this month. Oh, it's Christmas. We're not doing it this month. And um, you live and breathe that too. And then once you decide you want a baby, it's like, that's it. I want a yeah. child. Yeah. And then you having that element of being sick, you're like, I want to have a child while I'm well. Yeah. yeah. Feel you go. So we went down IVF and they were like, okay, Jess, this is your thing. We're here. Let me know when you get to hear. Yeah. Sure. No worries. Like they're due on this date, but they're so irrational. Yeah. Who knows? Could be 20 days, could be 40 days. Got no idea. Sure. Because you were like trying for a baby yeah. for about a year. And then when did you start? About a year and a half and at this started stage. Take- started trick after. Yep. Four months after, fell pregnant naturally. So fell pregnant naturally, but you were literally about to start IVF. Yeah. So they called me about three days before and I was like, I still don't have my period, but I feel like I have my period coming. So just chill out. I told you I'd call you. <laughs> you are crack me up. You're like, chill out, guys. I'll let you know. I'll call you. And then the anaesthetist calls me. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've already been through this. I don't know when they're coming. Like, I don't have a time machine. I can't tell you. Anyway, so, God, my boobs hurt. And I'm like, James, I have breast cancer. No. <laughs> have a history of breast cancer. So I was just like, they're, they're sore and they're lumpy. Yeah. He's like, okay. 
what do we do with that? Yeah. I'm like, it's fine. I'm going to go to the doctors. But I'm also 14 days late. Mm. I was at working from home at the time. I was like, when I finish my shift, I'll do it. And he's like, okay. And then I, I just, he was just on the bed and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. He's like, what happened? We just said you're going to do it after work. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to do it now. And then come up instantly. And I'm like, um, here? <laughs> so got a bit of news. So I don't have breast cancer, James. I'm just pregnant. <laughs> what was that like? I was. Was it a shock? It was, but more just like disbelief. Yeah. And I'm like, it must be a false net positive. Yeah. Because like. You've done no, about a million of these before. I've done a million of these before. Yeah. And I've, I have breast cancer. So I'm going to have to break the news to mum. My nana had also had breast cancer that year and removed her breast. So it was just like, this is ha- happening. This is just what my life is. Yeah. Nothing ever works for me. I just, I can't possibly be pregnant and I yeah. have breast cancer. Anyway, so I called the clinic. Hey, like there's periods that I told you I was going to call you for. I'm actually pregnant. And they're like, oh, let's not go off the test. Let's get your blood test. So I got the test and they're like, yeah, Jess, you're definitely pregnant. Your numbers are huge. Okay, now I can start to believe you and have some sort of excitement. And you were four months into taking these meds, so, like, your quality of life. Oh, I went, so we should probably speak about that. Totally. <laughs> it's too exciting. There's too much good stuff going on. So my lung function, I was, my worst I was 42, I think, was my worst lung function. What does that mean? The amount of oxygen that you're capacity of your lungs. So if you Got blow it. up a balloon, like there's my big balloon, there's 100% of my air in my balloon, deflate mine by 60 and my little saggy balloon is what's left. Got it. So you have a big, happy, shiny balloon. Yeah. Mine is like the little sloppy seconds. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So that's what my capacity was. So you can breathe through this and I can breathe through that. Got they it. compare CF to breathing through a straw. Wow. You take big, deep breaths as a normal average human and I breathe through a straw with a blocked nose like it. Wow. Yeah. My lung function went up 22% in two weeks. So that's a quarter of a half of what I was already breathing like at my worst. Straw. That's a, yeah, wow, yeah. in two weeks. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was instantly, like, I felt a difference near instantly. And I was just like, what the hell is this? Yeah. This is what you're supposed to feel like? Oh you my were no, no God. different to what you've experienced no, like most of your life. Yeah, I think I'm in the eight. I don't even check anymore because I don't care because I don't. feel fine. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not somewhere in the 80s. So like, a lot sort of happened in that period. You've been doing that for four months. You were about to start IVF. You fall pregnant naturally. But then there's that thought in the back of your mind that I've only got a certain amount of months of this drug left. Yes. So we could afford it for, I think it was six more months from that time. So say a year all up. Probably not even. I'm going to say nine or ten months is what we could afford before we had to sell the house. So I, again, sitting in the IVF clinic, I decided to write a post. So I'd been on Trikafta, hadn't fallen pregnant yet, was in the IVF clinic, and I was just like, what the fuck? Why why is this happening? Why is this so hard? Why is it so hard to access medication at a ridiculous cost where it's jeopardising my family's life and I'm sitting here in a waiting room in a hospital. No, not good enough. So I wrote an Instagram post and sent it. Just went, I don't know what time stuff it is. It. Like stuff, is it prime time of Instagram? Is the photo even good? Does it grammar check? Probably not. Send. Yeah. And mum called me. She's like, what is that? What did you do? And I'm like, I've just had enough, mum. Like I've had enough and people need to fucking know about my story. Yeah. And wow, like it's just caught. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, 
The power of oh, social media, though. I know. Like, we give it a lot of shit because there's a lot of things that are wrong mm. with social media, but that is just yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I never, ever thought it was going to be where it got. But just there was comments and more comments and shares, and I'm like, oh, shit, someone actually cares about my story. Yeah. I just was just like my little vent. Yeah. And no one could do much about it. And CF Australia saw it, probably because I tagged Slack everyone that I could think of and Joe the CEO was just like shit what are we gonna do with this this is it like we can start here yeah and then it just went from there and they put together a petition to get our voice heard in parliament that someone could talk about Trikafta. So people started reaching out to you yeah going we want you to help advocate this. Yes how can we use your post to get somewhere yeah so jumped on board with CF Australia and was your mum on board? Was she like, let's do this? Mum was so taken back that all of a sudden I'm talking about my CF because it was just like, I'm happy to tell people, but it's not my life. Like, yeah. I'm not a CF patient named Jess. My yes. name is Jess and I have CF. Yeah. It's just how I took my mentality. So she was just so like, oh my, what? So yeah, CFA, I spoke to them a heap and they put through the petition and then the latest project, like Michael Asha, someone reached out to me and they're like, oh, we're interested to hear about your story. So then this is media starts reaching This out. is media. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, like I'm not ready for that. Yeah. I just wanted people to, I just wanted people to know what my life is like and, you know, that you're whinging that you broke a nail today. They I picked am a nice the right now. girl. They picked the right girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it just went berserk from there. And then it was news articles and radios and TV and I'm like, okay, so I can use my voice for something good. Let's do it. So initially all I wanted to do was vent and tell people that we were spending a ludicrous amount of money and this is my life. And I know that I don't seem sick because it's this secret illness, this hidden illness that only affects on the inside. No, we're going to share and scream and yell as loud as I possibly can until someone hears me that's in power. Yeah. What did the weight of people signing that petition mean for getting you in front of Parliament? So I think we needed 20,000. Yep. We needed a number. 20, okay, so 20, they actually 000. have that requirement. Yeah. yeah, because if you don't, you, no one's going to speak up for you. And we had 28 days or something to get that many people. I remember. And I was just like, good, I think I have 600 followers. So this is really good. <laughs> like cool. 600 people. Yeah, great. Okay, that's something. At least it's somewhere. And then someone shared it and then someone shared it again and again and again and it just went insane. Like I had to charge my phone like three times a day. I was like, I normally charge it every third day. Yeah, this is huge. What is going on? Signed the petition and I think we ended up at 52,000 or something like just insane, like an insane number. And I was just like, what? I can do this. Like someone's listening to me and someone – not that nobody cares about people, but someone cares. All of a sudden, these people who you follow their glamorous lifestyle, they're like, oh, no, I can sign that. I know I can do this. And people that you haven't spoken to primary school, they're signing it and they're yeah. sharing it. And their boyfriend's cat's partner is doing it as well. <laughs> Did you have people with CF start reaching out to you as well? Yeah. yeah. And that was probably one of the best parts about my journey because I never did it for anyone else for myself until I started to get it. And there's little kids who are like, oh, 
she's older than what they say you're going to die at. Or this girl is well and she's not in hospital and she's not sick and, you know, she's living her life and she's going to work and she's been to uni and she has a house and she has a husband and she has dogs. The child thing is coming. You're looking at this person it's just, oh, okay, I can do this. And hearing some of those stories, like some, a lot of them had died, unfortunately. It was relatives that I wish it was here first so I didn't have to bury my best friend or my partner or my daughter. Were they saying to you if this was here, they would still be here? Yeah. That's a big weight for you to take on. Yeah, and especially because for five years or so it's been around and we're waiting and watching kids die because of a cost. Um, and that's when I got cranky. Yeah, I, because who determines that cost? The pharmaceutical um, company? Basically, yeah. yeah. Some pharma brand has decided that's my stamp figure and we're not going to budge on it. It's not a one-off cost. If it was $21,000 one-off, sure, I could probably get it. But every month because you're greedy. Why work in pharmaceuticals to help with yeah. modern-day medicine if you're not going to make it beneficial for people that need it? Absolutely. Crazy. Yeah. And that was that sort of like straw that broke the camel's back mm. for me. It was just my flick. And I'm like, fuck this. Like no lit way. a fire in you. Yeah. These kids are sitting here and dying. Yeah. There are people here dying. Yeah. People on lung transplant lists and liver transplant lists and no, not good enough. Did people, like local MPs and stuff from around so the coast reach out? I, I reached out to them and then they were like, oh, yeah, we've heard you. Like I went to Liberal and Labor and I went to the Greens and I went to anyone that I could find, any email address that I could find, any phone number that I could call, I called. Yeah. And thankfully a lot of other people started sharing my story too. I got to radio stations that, like, I don't listen to Triple M, but I was on Triple M. I um, <laughs> went to someone in Brisbane called me. And I'm like, I've got no idea who you are. I've never even heard of you as a radio station. Sure. Yeah. If you're going to share my story, go for it. Yeah. Daily Mail. And I'm like, oh, I read your things. And I'm like, you're liars. But yeah. sure, take on my story. Yeah. I don't care. As long as my name's out there. So Parliament didn't come until quite late. So I was pregnant at this stage. My brother's best friend's girlfriend. So this is like how far we were reaching, organised a fundraiser. And she's like, no, people, like instead of having a night out, let's just go and spend money on Jess. So we had raffle prizes and auction items and whatever. And we raised a lot of money. It was about 20 grand on that night too. But funnily enough, that same day I got a phone call going, Greg Hunt wants to meet you. Now, Greg Hunt was the Minister of Health at the time. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble. He's going to be like, back off. Yeah. Like, stop. We're in the middle of an election. No. Isn't that so interesting? Your mind goes to like negative. Yeah. But if you look back, everything that bad happens, there's a 1% chance of this happening. That was me. Yeah. Like I'd had surgeries and then the 1% complication, that was me. And I'm yeah, like, totally. Okay. So everything went bad. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to give up. I'm still going to kick and fight and yell and everyone's going to hear about it. Yeah. And so that was a Saturday night. And then we flew to Melbourne the next day because he wanted to meet in person. And I'm like, okay, no worries. I just want to let you know that we're all going to be very hungover. Been raising a bit of cash. Yeah, but I'm secretly pregnant. So nobody knows that I've been drinking non-alcoholic wine. Yeah. But it's fine. It's okay. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to Melbourne. Going to Melbourne. So got on a flight at like 4am. And I was sitting on the tarmac just waiting. And I read an article. 
saying that track after has been approved. And I was like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> Why am I reading an article? Literally reading an article. Read okay, an article. so it actually legitimately was on the PBS. So it had been announced that it was going on the PBS at the 1st of April. Oh, my God. So this is like, mm, wedding anniversary is the 21st of March. I had COVID at the same time, so I was at home and the day I got out of COVID isolation was the day of the fundraiser. So like 27th, 28th of March-ish. Yeah. As of the 1st of April, track after is being approved on PBS. And I'm like, Greg, couldn't have said this to me over the phone? So do you, have you spoken to him at first? Not him on like personally, his assistant. Yes. And then they were like, oh, we, we want to just get your, your input and we want to speak to you. And I'm like, okay, this is what you need to start the conversation with. Yeah. Hey, Jess, Tricafta's been approved. Can we please have some comments? Yeah. But no, I'm reading it like a third-party email, like about wow. how <laughs> Tricafta's been approved. And then I got to turn my phone off for the hour and a half flight to Melbourne. And who were you with? <laughs> who, yeah, you with mum. Mum like, I One of my questions was, where were you when you found out? Yeah. And you have answered that. Yeah. That is yeah. insane. Mum, she's going to hate me. She was so drunk. I think she was still drunk on the plane. Oh, my God, stop it. <laughs> so everyone had been celebrating. Everyone had been celebrating. And then I'll just, just, oh, just turn your phone off because, you know, you're going on a plane to meet Greg Hunt. No, when I turned my phone back on, it was Channel 7, Channel 9, this person. I'm like. I'm still in shock, guys. Like, I thought I was meeting him because he was going to yell at me going back off. Anyway, so we get to Melbourne and, like, the world's there. There's families and CF Australia, like, all of these people that have obviously got the same phone call. And there's Greg Hunt just walking through the park. And I'm like, wow, what? And he comes up to me and he's like, you're Jess. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And I'm glad that you know who I am because about fucking time. (gasps) Yeah. Good on you. Yeah. And at the end of the day, these people were putting a monetary figure on my life and you've decided to waive that figure. So from $21,375, it went to $6.60. A month. A month. Oh, my God. Like that's the price of a coffee. A month. Yeah. How do they even decide what they change the money to? That is insane. I'm trying to be devil's advocate here. I... From what I know, I think Greg Hunt's put like a lot of medication on yes. the PBS. Yep. I've read a few other stories, like all child related, yep. and he's done a lot. He has. And there is such a. I used to work for a pharmaceutical company, LOL, which is so funny. But even the submission to get a drug mm-hmm. on the PBS is they have one intake a year. So it is actually so incredible that they did that so quickly. So they should have, yep. like, absolutely. But what a moment. Like, mm. and Greg. He sounds like he's an all right guy. I actually think he's either very good at his job or he was genuinely, like, ecstatic that he could do this. Yeah. He was retiring. Regardless if Liberal got in or not, he was retiring. Yeah. And he's like, it's nice. One of the first drugs he put on was for CF. Yeah. And now one of the last he put on was for CF. And Greg actually went to school with a kid who had CF and he unfortunately died. So I think he's got it. Like he, he has a bit of a yeah. empathy. Like he, it was a little bit more close to home yeah. for him. And he just seemed genuine. Like he wanted to ask questions and he wanted to know who I was as a person, not just this naggy lady on the TV. Yeah. I love you think that not the worst in you, but you're like, people are just going to tell me to shut up. Yep. And it's like, people do, like, there is so many politics at play, but yep. people 
do genuinely care and for someone to be in those health roles like you've got to hope that there's an element of them like wanting to do the right thing like like, compassion Yeah, yeah yeah but what a crazy whirlwind for you to be going from sitting on a tarmac finding out that it's been approved to go on the pbs to standing in front of people cameras cf australia like insane how are you feeling i was just rattled like it was just like sorry (laughs) this is five four five months in the making now and a lot of money and like at this at the end of the day like that's that was a big cost of our life yeah that not everyone could afford no there were six people in australia who were self-funding track after and i was one of them we were just lucky that we owned a home in copa that was it and obviously mum and dad are so supportive that they would risk losing everything to save me and like yeah. the scheme of you know everyone loves their child but you know I think they've gone a little little bit above and yeah. beyond the, the normal requirement. And I'm sure everyone would want to be like yeah. not everyone's in the position That's to do exactly that. Right. Yeah. Um, so I met some kids down there it was really again I knew I was pregnant but I didn't tell anyone yet and they were like I can't wait to be a mum like I want to be a mum and I'm like oh it I does really, happen. I tell it, it yeah. does happen, but I can't tell you because I'm seven weeks pregnant. But like, it does. Yeah. You're there. There's hope for you. And there was a little kid. I remember Kai. He's like, I get to play with my friends, get to run and kick a ball on the AFL field, and that broke me. If we look at everything that we've been through, that kids get to be kids, then that's all worth it. Yeah. Oh, Jess, that is just insane. Didn't realise the story was so just like happened all so quickly and yep. so many moving parts, but crazy that it started with an Instagram post to you being able to be there when they announced that it's on the PBS yep. and that it's $6. Crazy. Yeah. And at that point it was for people 12 and over, is that right? Yeah. Yep. And and then that had to meet the requirements for the genetic things so too. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of people that don't have access to truck after, but... I spent 28 years without anything either. And yeah. then technology, people are so smart. I don't know how the hell scientists make things that you know, track after starts to genetically modify the fault in my genes. That's what wow. it does. My fault is now like your normal one. That's how these scientists make drugs. Crazy to think that it's there. It's taken God knows how many years to get there. I feel for these people that didn't have it. But yeah, so 12 plus is what it went on for April 1st of 22. Yep. And that's obviously when I got mine. And then that wasn't good enough for me. (laughs) No, more people need it. So I started my fight for six plus. Wow. And it took a little bit longer than what it did for me. And it was tough because they were almost just like, you got yours. Don't be selfish. Yeah. These kids are going to make it to 12, but some don't. Yeah. I remember being in hospital and I met, his name was Richard. He was 12 at the time and he died from CF. And I literally went to bed. I was like, night, Rich. See you in the morning. And he didn't wake up. That's what it was like for kids. So I have irreputable damage from my CF. Like I can never get more well than I am because of the damage that it's caused for the 28 years, 27 years that yeah. I didn't have track after. I just thought if these kids could have it from six, it's the cost, the burden that's no longer on the hospital system is outrageous. Totally. Like six hospital admissions a year, that's probably $250,000 anyway. Yeah. Which is the cost of the medication. A lung transplant's $500,000 or medication alone is this much money. 
So yeah, I started for Six Plus and they got rejected. So I just went back to the media. I went back to petitions. I went back to media. People knew my name yeah. enough that they knew that I was a CF advocate. And yeah. sure. So Michael Usher, he was just fantastic for us. He was like, no worries, Jess, let's jump on. Let's have you here. You're a good enough news story. It was nice to have a nice outcome. Yeah. So yeah, six plus and... And that was exciting when they got on. So they were the 1st of March this year. Wow. All these kids that now get so many more years and their families get to take a breath. Literally, they get to take a breath. They get to watch their kids now, get to play sport and run and swim and kick the ball. And you played a massive part in that. So, like, how does that feel for you? Have you actually had a moment to step back and go, holy shit, like I am a part of this incredible change in Australia for CS. This is where, and I look at myself and I'm like, I don't give myself enough credit. Yeah. But it's definitely, I, it wasn't me. Like it, I didn't do it. I just helped. Yeah. And it was because I'm obnoxiously loud. Yes. <laughs> and that's because at the end of the day, if I was just that quite shy person who was just told to shut up and sit in the corner, who knows where we would be. If you were to talk about the support network around you through, obviously you've spoken a lot about your parents and James, like who else would you say is the support network that's enabled you and empowered you to do what you guys have done? Yeah. Definitely. Like family, 100%. You can never top them. The fact that mum and dad remortgage their house, you owe them your life basically and that's exactly what I do. James, the fact that he's stuck around, kudos to him. I, my brother, is we have that relationship It's just like, Oh, like you're my worst enemy, but I love you. Yeah, love you, but yeah. we're not going to admit that we love yeah. each other. So yeah. he did like the Instagram post and he was just like, proud of you, sis. And that was enough to break my heart type yeah. of thing. But I am shocked by the community. Yeah. You said social media before. Sometimes it's really crappy. I am blown away by the support of people. I never signed petitions when people posted them and I never donated when people were raising money. But and there's then, so much out there too. Like, there, yeah, there's like always something. Pick? Yeah, who yeah. do you pick? We want to. Yeah. But, yeah, I think you talking about how important that petition was yeah. to get you on that platform, I think is so nice to remind people it takes two minutes. Yeah, and all you needed to do was be an Australian citizen with an email address. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. My dogs also signed up. Island <laughs> <laughs> 2 at gmail.com yeah, and totally. one <laughs> like, Pulling out all the, like, high school Email addresses. Absolutely. Yeah. I love hot socks or whatever. Good. They would sign up too. I probably signed it 15 times. Yeah. But the support from the community, I sat there and I was just gobsmacked. Yeah. That someone thought, okay, even if I can't financially help you, I can't physically help you, I got no medical advice, but I can share this platform. Yeah. And sign that petition and then go to work and make sure all of them sign it. And then all of their family sign it. And that's what it was. It was like, oh, Jess, I, like my accountants were like, oh, all 18 of our staff have signed it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's all it was. Yeah. And I am still to this day blown away that people that I don't speak to signed it. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like the way that you and I have known knew each other for a hot second, I worked with your mum for a couple of months and then I saw it coming up on Facebook yeah. and I was like, oh, my God. And it takes me two seconds to then advocate that yep. on behalf of you. It comes back to the community. Yeah. That it, it all started with an Instagram post. Yep. I never put it out to go, I need help, guys. It doesn't even say 
help me. Yeah. It just says, this is my life. I need awareness. I, I need someone to know that when I cough, I don't have COVID. <laughs> totally. Which we haven't even touched on that. What was that like? Because were you taking trifecta yeah. during COVID? Yeah. Did it affect you in terms of, I mean, we're all isolating yeah. at that point. COVID happened before I started Trikafta, but I didn't get COVID until I started Trikafta. The plan was if I got COVID to present to emergency and go, I have CF getting admitted, like we're eradicating it as fast as we can. My CF team were like, I don't even care if you're sick. If you've tested positive, this is what happens. Go to hospital. I was working from home at the time because COVID started to chill out a little bit, I went back to work and I'm like, sweet, wear masks, whatever. Anyway, got COVID at work. But I was seven, eight weeks pregnant, like so early on. I was a mess. It's taken me so long to have a baby and now I have COVID. And we didn't know what COVID was. That's exactly, yeah. I kicked my husband out because we have no income. You need to go to work. James moved in with mum and I was at home. Okay, what do I do? Anyway, I had a sore throat. Had a little bit of a cough and I was just like, hmm, this is a breeze. This is easy. Yeah. Why am I complaining about COVID? Yeah. But God, if I didn't have track after, I reckon I would have been rattled and yeah. like down for the count. Absolutely. Yeah. So went on to have a baby. I did. I know we mentioned his name before, but had a little boy. I did. So Cooper. Cooper is an October baby, yeah. like his mama. And he... Thrived. So I was so well pregnant. I had gestational diabetes, but they told me I was going to have that because of my CF. Yeah. And that was annoying, but so is a lot of other things. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm, I think you deserve a nice pregnancy yeah. given what you've been through. I speak for the minority. I put on five kilos when I was pregnant. I was the most I've ever been. I was walking seven Ks a day to the point where the doctors were like, stop walking. Wow. <laughs> no, that's too much. Cooper come out 3.6 of those kilos. And I, so I left the hospital weighing what I was before I was pregnant. Never took a hit. I never had to be admitted to the hospital. Like they planned it. It was going to be tough. You're going to have oxygen. You're probably going to be in from like trimester two. You're going to be in hospital prepared for the worst. My water's broken. I was at home and I was just like, oh. Cool. Like, yeah. James, want to go to hospital? Yeah. Well, James was, James hadn't packed his hospital bag and he's, oh, I've got to have a shower. Called mum. She rocked up with no shoes on either. I was like, what is everyone doing? Yeah. We're having right. a baby. We are well versed in going to the hospital. Can we just get it together? Yeah. yeah. No, it was just the whole rigmarole. Anyway, we got there. Cooper was a little bit stressed during labour, but he is the cutest little dang thing. I've seen pictures. Yeah. He looks so cute. Yeah. Oh. Eight and a half months old now. Thriving. Meeting all these milestones biting on me when he's got his teeth come through just as a kid. He yeah. doesn't have no idea what his mum does or has been through. He's thriving. And you guys did the testing. I know we spoke about that earlier. Was that a concern? When we got engaged, I said we're doing genetic testing because if I can't have a baby that doesn't have CF, I'm not having a baby. Mm-hmm. And if that's something that it's a make or break deal for you, we need to do it before we get married. It was a 16-week wait. It was a blood test that took 16 weeks. The longest 16 weeks of my whole entire mm. life. And when they got the phone call, they didn't just tell you over the phone. They're like, oh, you need to come in. And then scientists, they tell you all the things. Mum was just like, mate, can we just say, is it a yes or a no? Yeah. You're saying all these weird long words I can't even pronounce. Please just tell us. Yeah. Anyway, he goes, no, James doesn't have CF or doesn't have one of the CF genes that we know of. Yeah. And that was enough for me. So yeah. the 98% chance. So 
yeah, he'd be he's fine. Thriving. Yeah. How is it being a mum? Oh, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> he's exhausting. Yeah. I don't know how I would have done it before track after. Yeah. I am exhausted now, but I've been so is far like, yeah. worse. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I have not slept and not ate and been tiny and brittle. But yeah, it's the best thing I've ever done. When you want to grow up, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a mum. Yeah. And I get to be one. What's so. it like for your mum seeing you as a mum? She loves it. Yeah. And dad too. Cooper's with them now. And I can only imagine they're both on their hands and knees crawling around with yeah. them or getting flicked with food in their face. I know my parents reflect now and like they have gone through what you guys have gone through and you think about your what you envision for your kids. And being a mum now yourself, you probably feel so much more like empathy, which you don't when you're living it. Yep. It can be worse in some ways. Yep. They want to take that away from me. If my daughter was sick, I would be like, I want to take that off you and I want to carry yeah. that. So it must be huge. Like Even my parents still said that in my 20s. If I could take it from you, I would. Yeah. But you can't. I think there's just, again, shock. There's no really other word. Yeah. I, I was given six months to live when I was 18. I'm 28 and I'm a mum. Yeah, living your best life. Yeah. yeah, that is incredible. And I think to know... If you'd set your mind to something, that you can actually do it. And oh, that's all I did. All it literally. ever was. It was take one step, one breath. Yeah. That's all we did. Just talking to you in this hour and a bit, you are the most stubborn, <laughs> determined, resilient person. I seriously will try not, I'm not going to cry when I say this, but you should just be so proud that you have done that for yourself, but you have done that for the entire CF community in Australia. That is huge. What would you say to the Jess that was sitting in that chair about to post that Instagram post? Do it earlier? (laughs) (laughs) No. I this is what I said to before, I don't give myself any credit because I don't at the end of the day, that's all I did. I just shared my story. Not really. You don't give yourself enough credit. (laughs) I did. That's all I all I did was I just stood up and I spoke. Stood up for myself. Yeah. And that's something that my parents taught me is if you don't like it, if it's something that you have to do, sure, but go about it your way. Yeah. And yes, I'm obnoxious and yes, I swear and yes, I yell and whatever, but it worked for me. Yeah. Passion as well. I would say you are incredibly passionate. Yeah. I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable. We need change. And when something needs to be spoken about or you need to advocate for something, you are such a testament to people to go just say something. Yeah. What have you got to lose? That's exactly right. People get pissed off. Who cares? Just do it. Yeah. And you got to drag on the PBS. Yeah. So pretty bloody cool, I think. <laughs> Is there anything, if you could say anything to anyone that's suffering CF or is there anything that you would want to say to anybody like off the back of your experience in the last couple so of years? So I think coming back to the comment that I made, I didn't want to kill myself, but I don't want to be alive. Please stick to it. Yeah. Like, I know, I get it. It's fucking hard. Yeah. Like, life is hard. Things are very hard. But there is someone else that needs you. Yeah. And one breath, one step. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. And you get there. Things are hard for a lot of people. And if that's how you do it, that's one breath, one step, one breath, one step. Yeah. You make it to tomorrow. Yeah. And then the next day, and then you're 10 years down the track with everything they ever wanted. You just got to keep going. I don't know anything different. My whole life has been CF. I don't know anything different. 
but it never changed who I was. It probably made me a little bit stronger and a little bit louder, but one breath, one step. Yeah. Great way to finish. You could say that in a lot of other environments too, like people that are going through something really tough, like be there, back yourself. Jess, you are a bloody legend. (laughs) Thank you so much for just putting it all on the table. I have so loved this chat. I hope you have like an M plus rating because. Yeah, (laughs) a few F-bombs, but I'm into it. If anyone wanted to find any info on CF, Mm -hmm. where would you send them? There's CF Australia. CF Australia, depending on what state you're in, you obviously have different suburbs, different states as well. But reach out. I'm open. Yeah. Jess Ragusa is me. I am on Instagram and my door is always open. You're a lead. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Yeah The Gals. If you like what you heard, hit subscribe or follow us on Instagram at Yeah The Gals Podcast. And remember, gals, you bloody got this. Yeah.